So glad that you're here this morning. Last Sunday, I talked uh, about uh, um, the book of Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, we, we kind of talked about being watchful, but at the same time that we're being watchful, we also need to be joyful. Amen. In this world, we can lose our joy if we're not careful. We, we look at what's going on in society around us, and we can, we can lose our joy. We we can focus on the negative, and in so doing, we open up. By the way, you need to get this. If you continue to stay negative and critical, critical and cynical, you can open yourself up for the enemy. And, and so we must remain joyful. As Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. But while we remain joyful, we must remain watchful. I, I entitled today's sermon, Clear and Present Danger. I uh, I just thought it was a Harrison Ford movie, but no, <laughs> there's more to it than that. It was actually a phrase used in, in, a, in legal wranglings in the Supreme Court. It came up several times, and it was in uh, reference to free speech. And when can free speech be uh, uh, hindered or stopped? And it originally happened in, uh, in World War I as someone was trying to teach people to be draft dodgers. And it was a clear and present danger to the United States of America for that kind of speech to continue. So it's been through the Supreme Court. That phrase has been through the Supreme Court numerous times. But I want to tell you of a clear and present danger that is going on in the church today. And if it's happening in the church, it's happening to our nation as a whole and to the world as a whole. Because as goes the church, so goes the nation. We know that. So uh, it is called progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity. If you've never heard of this, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's likely that you've heard it, but not heard of it. In other words, we won't call it what it actually is because people will be on to it. And so, but it, it, let's just get into the scriptures. Um, actually, before we get into the scriptures, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, pocket watches. I, I was going to bring mine. I have a pocket watch, but I forgot it at the house. But uh, there was a day in which they would be in a city or in a town, a clock tower. You can imagine Big Ben. I've been to London, England, saw Big Ben. And you can imagine people uh, walking along the streets and stopping and looking at the time as they had to set their watch. Remember, we used to have to wind our watches. And, and so they'd wind the watch. And they, of course, as uh, you hadn't wound it, it would get off of time. And so you had to kind of reset it. And people would once a day look at Big Ben and set their watch. It was the standard for time. We have a standard for time. Nowadays, it's just easy. Everybody got a cell phone. It's, and it's right on. But, uh, but there was a standard for time. Rather than, well, it just feels like noon or it just feels like such and such. There's a standard for direction. And so can you imagine being out on the sea? And by the way, this theme is going to kind of continue to come up because of the vision that the Lord gave me a week ago. That being out on the sea and trying to navigate the ocean waters and just doing it by feel. Well, it just feels like north. It just feels north. If I were to ask everybody in here, everybody kind of knows the direction around here because uh, if you're from here, you kind of know. So if I tell everybody point, point north right now, everybody point, you know, kind of that way. Some people are like, I have no idea. There's no windows in this room. <laughs> that just feels north to me. But, <laughs> but there's standards. 
There are standards of time. There are standards of direction. And I want you to know what progressive Christianity is doing. It is trying to cut us free from the standard of God's word. And, and, and what is going on is instead of looking at the world through the lens of God's word, the progressive Christianity looks at God's word through the lens of the world. And that's scary right there. And it is the most dangerous thing happening in the church today, but it's not new. There's nothing new to it. It's uh, been going on for a while. In fact, if you get, look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, we just sang a song about um, uh, uh, basically just uh, uh, dropping tradition and religion. I need you to understand when we use that word religion in a negative word, as a negative word, it is not speaking of the pure and true religion that Jesus speaks of that takes care of the widows and orphans. It is, uh, when we think of religion in a negative sense, it would be this list of rules and regulations and repetitions that we must follow, and, and, and God doesn't work that way. God works by relationship. But we talk about dropping you know, religion and, and traditions and so when you take the scriptures, when you take the gospel, you take God's word and you say it's Jesus plus anything, you have corrupted it. I need you to understand that. Jesus plus anything, you've corrupted the truth. You, you've corrupted it. And so in Galatians, and we, we're, we're still, this is before the New Testament was written and, uh, and, and the apostle Paul is having to instruct the church and out of those instructions, we get some of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. A different gospel. I need, I need you to hear that, those two words together. Different gospel. Gospel means good news. And we know that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ who comes to save us from our own sins. And then Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and he says, can't believe you've come up with a different gospel. In verse 7, which is not another, which means it's not a real gospel. Because Jesus plus anything is heresy. It's corrupting the truth. And so, which is not another gospel, there are some who trouble you uh, and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, this group of people were called Judaizers, and Judaizers said it's Jesus plus Judaism. Jesus plus circumcision. Paul got so mad about it. He, it <laughs> yeah, some of you know where I'm going. <laughs> Paul got so mad about these Judaizers that said Jesus plus circumcision. He said, don't just take a little off the top, cut the whole thing off. That's the truth. It's in here. Because <laughs> he, he was furious over people that would add to the gospel. He said, we, we can't be corrupting the scriptures, the truth of the gospel. We can't corrupt it. And so tradition adds to the gospel. Tradition, uh, when, or not necessarily tradition in itself, but when you go to adding things to in religion, if you go to adding things to, it's Jesus plus these rules. Jesus plus you should look like this, talk like this, act like this. Jesus plus all of these things, then you have added to the gospel. And, and that was what was going on even in the, in the times of the apostles. They were adding to the gospel. He said, when you go to adding to it, you corrupted it altogether. You perverted it, and it's no longer the gospel. 
Because it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, not of yourselves as anyone should boast. And so what we're seeing now and today is called progressive Christianity. And uh, you, it may slip in uh, and you not recognize it. But I remember a few years back, actually about the same time I, I came to Sand Springs, there was a guy who was doing some, uh, some Bible teaching on video. And man, this dude was extremely popular. And uh, he was making a lot of money off of it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then all of a sudden he wrote this book. And uh, I can't remember exactly the name of the book, but it, in the writing of his book, we found out exactly what he was. He was a progressive Christian. In fact, at that time, it wasn't called progressive Christian. It was called the emergent church. And you could call it the regurgent church, but it was. <laughs> and his name was Rob Bell. And Rob Bell denied hell. So there's no such thing as hell. How could a good God send anyone to hell? So here's the truth of the matter. How could a good God not send someone to hell? If he is good, then hell must be a reality. And I know it kind of got quiet because you kind of may wonder how in the world is that the case? Let me ask you something. If someone hurt someone you loved, they, they, let's say someone uh, murdered your mother and the attorney says, it's okay, this case is going before a good judge. A good judge. And so that case goes before that good judge and that good judge says, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good judge and what that means is I'm just kind hearted and I love everybody and, and I, don't, I don't want anybody to have to to struggle or suffer. And so, uh, Mr. Criminal, I'm just going to let you go free. Is that a good judge? That's a horrible judge. That's not justice at all. There's nothing good about that. And so this lie that there's no such thing as hell because God is good, though the fact that God is good says there is such thing as hell. And so we could go into all that for eternity, but we won't. But I just want to point out uh, that it's been around for a little while. It's been around for a little while. In fact, it goes all the way back to just as soon as this word was put in paper form. And it was called the Gnostics. And the early church fathers were fighting the Gnostics way back 2,000 years ago. And there's been different movements for 2,000 years, different movements come through Christianity that are trying to get people off course. Always has been, and they'll always, they always will be. But this is the one for today. It's called Progressive Christianity. And, and uh, again, the best way to view it is Progressive Christianity looks at God's word through the lens of society today instead of looking at society today through the lens of God's word. So they say this can be changed. This needs to be changed. It, it must be changed is what they say. It's, it must be changed because the writers of the Bible were... Uh, they were incomplete in their knowledge. And so as they wrote these scriptures down, they didn't know everything. These were ignorant men and we have evolved since then. So you need to just kind of excuse some of the things that they wrote because they didn't know everything. Well, that sounds reasonable. It's hogwash is what it is. It's garbage because here's what the scriptures are. The scriptures are God breathed. God inspired man to put pen to paper, and we have the Word of God. 
and it is the word of God. It is inspired, God breathed. It is infallible. It means it has no fallacy to it whatsoever. It is in error. There's no error to it whatsoever. But they will be some real scholarly people and they sound real smart and they can come along and, and, and start convincing people. No, no, no. They, they, they surely didn't know everything. And so knowledge has progressed since this word was written and therefore you need to be progressing too. That's where where we get the name progressive Christianity. Isn't it interesting that uh, the initials of progressive Christianity are PC? <laughs> Which is also the initials of politically correct. I want you to look with me to 2 Peter. I'm going to look at a lot of scriptures. So I better get moving. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people. All the way back then, there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you. There was then, there is now, there forevermore will be false prophets who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Jesus plus anything is heresy. Jesus minus is heresy. So the legalism of the Galatians, it was law added to the gospel, was heresy. The liberalism of progressive Christianity, heresy. What, what kind of liberalism is involved in? Well, this Jesus, you don't really necessarily have to believe that he was born of a virgin. You know, that whole resurrection stuff, that's crazy stuff. You don't have to believe in the resurrection. I have to disagree. The Bible says that the resurrection is absolutely essential for salvation. And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But anytime you try and, and start explaining away scriptures, anytime you hear someone say, my truth, that should throw up red flags like everything. That should be, that should be super concerning. Uh, and, and anytime someone tries to describe God only as a grandfatherly figure, warm and cuddly and fuzzy and just hug up, he is that. He is, God is love, but he is also a consuming fire. And he is pure and holy. And because he is holy, it means that unholiness cannot enter into the presence of God. That's, that's the truth of God's word. It, it, because of who he is, my sin is a problem. Therefore, I have to have my sin dealt with before I can be in his presence. And how do I have my sin dealt with? The cross of Christ. It's all about the cross. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says there's false prophets. There will always be false prophets. They bring heresies, verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways because of, the, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Because of them who follow these destructive ways, the way of truth, scriptures, will be blasphemed. People say, ah, you, can't really, you can't really believe that these 2,000-year-old documents you can't really base your life on that book. Surely, surely we've evolved since then. Surely we've grown in knowledge since then. Well, if it was only writings of man, I, you might have a point. But since it's the writings of God, my God's eternal. And he sees the end from the beginning. And as he wrote these scriptures, but using the pens of a man, uh, this truth is forever true. I want you to understand there is no progressiveness to truth. True is always true. Always was true, always will be. True is true. False is 
always false. And so, chapter also in chapter two in verse uh, in Second cha- Peter chapter two, we're going to look in verse twelve. But these, like natural brute beasts, these are false teachers. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed. Woo! I guess he isn't always warm and cuddly. <laughs> made to be caught and destroyed. Speak evil of the things they do not understand. That sounds just like progressive Christianity. They, they deny the virgin birth, they deny resurrection, they deny hell. They don't understand it, so they're just like, surely you can't believe in that old stuff. Surely I do. And we'll receive the wages of unrighteousness. And they back up, I need to read verse 12 again. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Does it sound like God wants to preserve truth? It sounds like he wants to preserve truth because this is a standard. You change the standard, everything that's looking to the standard gets changed. Let's say somebody overslept and didn't change the time on Big Ben. Now everybody's watches are off. (laughs) Just think. And so this is what it said in the book of Judges. This is so good. In the book of Judges, Judges is the most depressing book in all the Bible. Maybe. I mean, there's some... There's lamentations. That's pretty sad. That's pretty bad. But, <laughs> but the book of Judges, it follows the book of Joshua. And Joshua, as they go into the promised land, they have victory after victory after victory after victory. You get to the book of Judges and it says, and there was no king in Israel in that days, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no one to hold the people to the standard, so everybody was their own standard. And it was hell on earth. And so, God does want his standard preserved. Verse 13, 2 Peter 2, 13. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness, those false teachers, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. You can continue to read the rest of chapter 2. It don't get much better than that. I mean, it just gets more bleak and bleak for, for those who are false teachers. But I don't want you to notice that this word spots and blemishes, there, I want you to see that there in verse 13. And as you're looking at spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, know this is written by the apostle Peter. But then if I flip over to the book of Jude, Jude chapter one, because there's only one chapter, <laughs> the book of Jude, Verse 12, it says, these are spots, here we go again, in your love feast. This is written by uh, James, uh, a Jew, the bond servant of, of Jesus. Uh, let me read that again, verse 1. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother James. This is written by Apostle Paul, then, but yet we have the same words. Look at what it says in verse 12. These are spots in your love feast. The same words that Peter used in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. Spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. I need you to understand the picture. We don't quite get it just looking at it in English, but as you look at it in Jude and begin to look at that word spot, it is another word used there, and it is a hidden reef. It is the picture of a a ship, and that ship doesn't see this reef 
that's out there and it's sailing right along and, and maybe the wind and the wave is moving that ship along, but there's something there that you need to be concerned about. It's hidden. It's hidden. There on Lake, uh, on Sea Creek Lake, uh, took Matthew, my, my, my field buddy with fathers in the field, took him fishing yes, uh, Thursday. And uh, we're driving over the lake uh, on Caney Bridge, number one. And you can see a, a marker out there in the water. Now, from the bridge, it's easy to see why that marker is there. Look, there's a sandbar that goes way out there. But when you're out there on the boat, going full throttle like I always do, <laughs> you can't see it. And do you know what happens when you hit something like that? People die. People die. Jude, as well as Peter, says you got to be careful of false teaching. It's hidden. You can't see it. But when you run into it, destruction is going to happen. He goes on again in chapter, uh, the only chapter of Jude, verse 12. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they're clouds without water, meaning they promise a lot, but they never really come up with anything. Carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. It doesn't look real good for these guys. Uh, those who are false teachers, those who are trying to take people off of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, God has something for them and it ain't good. But we must watch out for these hidden reefs. We must be careful in that recognizing that in this day and age, there is this garbage called progressive Christianity. And even if they don't call it that, you need to be, you need to be educated, and we're going to do our best to do that, educated in what they are teaching and, and, and understand it for what it is. So let's kind of just bring it to who is, it most, who is most at risk for progressive Christianity. Well, they'll be here in the third service. Some of them are here in this service, and that's our young people. Our youth group comes in the third service. They all line up right here on the first two rows. It's an awesome group of young people, and pretty soon they're going off to college. And when they go to college, they'll hear liberalism at its finest. At its finest. And, and there are professors, and, and obviously we have some young people in this, uh, in this service as well. There will be professors who their number one goal is to undermine your faith. They are hidden reefs. They're, you don't recognize it. You go to college, oh, I'm getting freedom. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be sailing the seven seas. You better watch out because there's somebody trying to take you down, trying to undermine your faith. And so those who are most vulnerable are the young people. No, that's number one. Number two, seekers. It's those who are seeking truth. Those who are looking for the truth of God and, and truth of, of, of who God is and God's word, they're, they're in danger because there's plenty of people out there trying to, and not intentional, they believe this fully. Uh, progressive Christians believe this fully. Oh, you really just can't go by all those archaic writings. But I'm going to tell you something, they're dead wrong and they're dangerous and I'll tell you who else is in, in danger of progressive Christianity. Tender-hearted people. <laughs> Aren't we all supposed to be tender-hearted? Absolutely. Here's the danger of it. It sounds so good. It is, it is peppered with so much truth. It's all through there. It's just twisted a little bit. 
as, as God gave this church a word uh, for, for uh, our church and kind of how that we are to, to proclaim the gospel, Jesus preaches his hometown synagogue. He preaches Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set captives free, to, to restore sight to the blind. And he just starts naming off these things that, man, progressive Christians love that stuff. Skip that gospel part. But they love that stuff. Oh, we need to be setting people free. We need to be, we need the, the society, the evils of society. And I'm going to tell you that next Sunday and probably next Sunday will be the end of it for a little bit. I'm going to tell you where it comes from and where it's going. But they say the evils of society is oppressing. That word might cue you in on where it comes from. It's oppressing humanity. And so humanity needs to break free from the evils of society. And so Jesus is not a savior. He's an example in progressive Christianity. There is no such thing as substitutionary atonement. And I know that's a big word. Let me explain it to you. Substitute. We know that, right? Here's the thing. I am a sinner. I was a sinner. I still sin, but that's not my title anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm the saved. I'm the sanctified. But as a sinner, I, I have to have this sin dealt with. But the wages of sin is death, and that's a high, high price, and I don't want to pay it. So Jesus paid it for me, substitute. He said, I'll take your sins upon myself. I'll give my righteousness to you. Amen. Isn't God good? Atonement. I am now at one, atone, at one with God because of the substitute. Jesus Christ died in my place on the cross of Calvary. Progressive Christianity? Mm-mm. It's not in there. Oh, they, they call God a, 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 a child abuser because he crucified his own son. That's what they call God. They call the gospel bloody and all kind of other ugly names. And I just want you to hear it when you hear it, what it is. What it is is trying to remove the cross from the gospel. And let me tell you, without the cross, it is not the gospel. There's no salvation without the cross. I need to keep going. I need to hurry up here. I want you to back up with me to uh, 2 Timothy Chapter, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I like that, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. I need you to hear me. What does that word contend mean? It means fight. I need you, he says, I am exhorting you, encouraging you, urging you to fight earnestly for the faith. Amen? We need to raise up some young people who said, I, I, even on that university campus, that liberal university, I'm not going to let that professor shipwreck me. I'm going to fight for my faith. Amen? We need families who said, I don't care what it says on the TV. I don't care what society says. I'm going to fight for the faith. 
I'm going to stay true to God's word. I'm not going to pervert the word. I'm not going to twist it. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus minus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to fight for the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, or woman, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word. What is, for every good work. What is it? The scriptures. The scriptures. What is it that progressive Christianity is trying to cut us free from? The scriptures. And, and, and it's the vision. It continues to come back to me over and over again. As I, I had this vision last week, and I began kind of preaching a little bit last week, it's been progressing. Ain't that good? Uh, <laughs> the Lord's been opening up that vision a little more to me in my understanding of it. And, I, and, and this, in this, this vision that I received, I see this guy on his knees on the front of a vessel, and he's got a knife, and with that knife, he is trying to cut the anchor rope. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture, possibly, of a ship of, there's a ship anchored off a rocky shore. The wind and the waves are blowing that thing. As long as it that anchor holds, it's okay. But there's some knucklehead down there trying to cut the anchor ropes. And, and when someone comes to our children and says, you don't believe there was really a whale that swallowed a man, did you? And he lived in there for three days. You don't believe that God's really good when he, when he tells them to wipe out a people group. You don't believe that's a good God, do you? You don't believe there's actually a resurrection, someone being dead for three days and raised from there. You don't believe. That's all fairy tales. That's all mysticism. Maybe it's allegory. Maybe it's whatever. It's somebody trying to cut the anchor ropes. And when it's cut, what happens? Shipwreck. Shipwreck. Contend for the faith. Chapter 3, verse 3, 2 Timothy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Somebody told me the other day, and I'm not going to name names, I'm so glad to find a church that preaches the word of God and doesn't just get up there and tell stories. What else is there but the Word of God? This is exactly what it says. That people just, they just get tired of hearing true doctrine and they just want to pile up a bunch of good teachers that makes them feel good and tickle their ears. And, and, and it says, uh, and turn aside to fables, telling stories. So it says, you need to be on guard of those. We need to be careful of those. I could go on and on and on, but I need to... Just come back to again where I said judges. There was no king in Israel in those days, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Proverbs 29, 18 says, without, and y'all may know it in one translation, without the vision, the people perish. But I like New King James in this translation. It says, without revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is the one who follows the law. Without revelation, Without word from God, we have cut ourselves free from the anchor rope that is holding us from destruction. Thinking, I'm trying to liberate myself. You catching it? 
I'm trying to free myself of this bondage. I'm being, I'm being held back. No, you're being held safe. <laughs> and so it, it, when we talk about breaking off traditions, it is that whole Jesus plus stuff. But can you imagine that ship and that ship, you're trying to free yourself of all unnecessary cargo. Everybody with me? In this life as a Christian, in this day and age, get rid of the extra baggage. Get rid of the extra baggage. Get rid of the cargo, but be careful not to get rid of the essentials. Don't you cut yourself free from the essentials. Because to do so is sure destruction. It's sure destruction. Here's my approach. I don't like, I don't like living in constant negativity. I don't like being pessimistic. I don't like being uh, cynical. I don't like all that junk. I don't like trying to constantly be on the defense. I don't like trying to constantly be on guard from everything. I don't like living in fear. That's what I want to say. And so I would rather live on the offense because a good offense is the best defense. What do I mean by that? I need to continue in my daily intimacy with the Father. And being founded on the truth of his word and being filled with the Holy Spirit, I am now on the offense. That junk's running from me instead of to me. Amen. I don't want to constantly have to be on looking on, on guard for everything. No, that stuff's looking out for me. Because I know the word of God and I can smash that garbage in an instant. I don't want to constantly be worrying about, oh, who's, who's trying to influence my thinking or who's trying to influence my kids. I need to raise them up in the truth of God's word. I need to raise our church members up in the truth of God's word. But the first time you hear somebody say, eh, you know, maybe you should read that a little different. You might need to tell them, eh, maybe you should shut up and walk away from me. <laughs> because this is the truth of God's word. Amen. There's a, a, just a clear and present danger. It's called PC. Progressive Christianity. But you can call it whatever you want. If it's twisting of the scriptures, it's deadly. It's deadly. Do you remember the three chairs? The committed What's that next one? The compromise. The compromised Christian, the generation next, is doomed. And so we must hold true to the truth of God's word. Amen. Praise team, come on forward. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have the word and it comes directly out of your mouth. We want to be firm on the solid foundation of truth. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be experiencing the power of God so that we're not in danger to the perversion, to false teaching, the apostates. We're not in danger to this. We don't, we don't have to worry about rejecting something we've actually experienced. Ain't nobody can tell me healing ain't, true, ain't real. I've experienced it. So Lord, I pray that we are living a life, intimacy with you, based on the truth 
of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.